0: Welcome to Bibliophiles, a production of the Center for Lit Podcast Network. In today's episode, the Center for Lit team continues its quest to discover the great ideas in books of every description, ancient classics to new bestsellers, epic poems to bedtime stories. We're glad you came along. We hope you find this discussion as provocative and inspiring as the books themselves. Want to join the great conversation? Stay tuned. You've come to the right place.
1: Well, hi friends. Welcome back to another episode of Bibliophiles. I am your host, Ian Andrews, joined today by a couple of special guests, Leslie and Carrie Bastard. I'm really proud to welcome you guys to the show. Uh, You're the guiding voices and the motive force behind this excellent new book called Wild Things and Castles in the Sky, a guide to choosing the best books for children. Welcome to you both.
2: Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for We're having really us. Very welcomed. Although, we do want to share with you that our last name is actually pronounced Bustard. Oh, Bustard. I
1: apologize. This is no, one, that's of,
2: okay. one of the
1: things that plagues podcast hosts. You do all of your reading on the internet and then you just sort of sling it out there and hope that you get it right.
2: (laughs) You know, I was recently recording myself uh, reading an essay that I wrote for Anselm Society and it was the essay I wrote. And then they were like, we'd like you to record it to be on, you know, on our website. And I quote often, it looks like Joseph Pieper. And I'm like, it can't be the way you say his name, (laughs) especially if he's German. Right. I had to keep practicing and I still don't know if I got it right. And so I'm like, please, I hope I got it right. So uh, they would say it was Yosef Pi. P- see, I can't even remember. Piper? Something like that. I don't like, know. Pot. I don't remember. I'm Anyways. glad it was
1: you and not me. I would have done it exactly. wrong. Exactly. That's how that would have happened.
2: <laughs> I'm so, so glad to, my mother in so law goes by Boostard, but it is like Bustard, but rhymes with the it is like mustard, but rhymes with a B.
1: Mustard but with a B.
2: Yeah, okay. that's how
1: it goes. Mustard. Should you ever meet a bustard in the wild? Now you know how to pronounce it. Exactly. So this book is so wonderful. I, I know about it, dear listeners, because Missy was invited to contribute. She wrote an essay on poetry uh mm-hmm. in this this, I guess you could call it an anthology, right? Of, yeah. of essays. Tell me a little bit about this book and sort of how it came into your mind, Leslie. I understand this was sort of your, your baby. So yeah. what are we looking at here?
2: So it is a book of a 40 writers so about 45 essays and it takes all different types of topics within children's literature and then different writers and we they have shared about what they know or are passionate about that topic like missy wrote about poetry Mm -hmm. and why should we make sure children have poetry in their lives right even like why should parents care like Isn't a teacher going to do that? But why can we think about poetry as being important for children? And just a wide variety of topics that do range from something classical as in what you're kind of used to reading about. Like, say, it could be um, Shakespeare or um, history or say, I'm sorry, what? Uh, I said, like, Robert Frost or, you know, Billy
3: Collins or something like that.
2: So why, why do we want kids to know those things? But also about race or about, you know, the what are the good Latino writers that we would want to make sure our children are reading about. Sure. So this book started one, because I've just always loved children's literature. We homeschooled for a while. We homeschooled for a while. Carrie was homeschooled almost all of her years, and then her sisters for um until they got to high school. Okay. And so literature was always that key element of um, what I wanted to make sure was in our kids' lives, as well as it being beautiful and good and true, or like if it's if it's funny that it still looks beautiful or it's really well Sure, you know, like yeah. the big picture of that. So I always loved that. And so I was always on the hunt for good books. And then I'm also married to an artist and a bookmaker. And so that's just always been a thing in our culture, in our family culture. And uh, one day I'm driving, it was a couple of years ago, and I'm driving in the car where I think a lot of my good ideas happen when I'm driving in the car. Mine
1: too. I understand.
2: <laughs> and I'm just thinking about—I don't even know how it got into my brain—but I was thinking about my friends who are also writers, mm. and somehow I just started thinking about this idea of this book of Square Halo, our book publishing company has done books that are essay books. We mm. seem to really enjoy pulling other writers into our world.
1: Oh, and a beautiful and thing that them is too. With
2: us. And then we had done a book um, that celebrated Beth and Byron Borger, who okay. own Hearts and Minds. They, yes. Their bookstore had been around for 35 years, and they were just really important to our book publishing company. They were the first ones to cheerlead us on, to sell our books. So, um, so we had done this book, and it was a book of essays, different people writing essays about books that you could topics you could find in their store. Okay. And so.
1: So that was sort of inspiration like, behind the project. Yeah,
2: I was like, we could do that with children's literature. Oh, and so I started thinking, okay, what topics would I want? Who could be my writers? And um, I presented it to our partners. And after a while they're like, Oh yeah, this would be really good. And then I presented it to Carrie because Carrie teaches. She also, she teaches four-year-olds. She also has always loved books and I thought it would be really fun to do a project with Carrie because she also has grown to know even more than I do, especially of more of the recent beautiful contemporary books that are out there. And she's also pretty passionate and smart. So I thought hmm, I
3: can <laughs> you, Carrie. Oh, thanks, Thank you.
2: <laughs> And then I also invited. Shout her, out! I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> yep. So I invited Thea Rosenberg, who is who is my first editor of an of essays I ever wrote that got published online. And kidding. then she became an editor for us at Square Halo. So she's like our superhero. She also has a book blog and I love her book blog. So we're like, the three of us are like kindred spirits. That we is excellent. We were like kids in a toy shop. It was a lovely experience. So Harry, throw so in great. anything else about us and the book and you in the book. Oh,
3: I think um, for me, once my mom pitched the idea, it was very. Um, it it was the best project that I could think about being a part of. Like she said about teaching, I've I've had a lot of parents and a lot of colleagues ask for book recommendations. And I only know a certain age range really, really well. And so for me, it was like, yeah, let's get all these voices together so that we do have some kind of list to share with people. So I have professionally a list to share with people who want something, you know, for high schoolers, I have no idea what I, I have an i. I have five books that I liked when I was in high school, or you know, whatever. If <laughs> it was for me, but like I don't know what kids are reading right now, or right. in with within certain topics, what would be helpful? I I have a very limited supply, and then I think also um, it can be very overwhelming to know where to start if you are in a new season that maybe you haven't had kids in before and, or friends who are in a new season that you don't know where to begin. And so I think when mom was talking about this, I was like, yeah, I want to be able to share what a good foundation is so that they can find better stuff out there.
1: That's just, that's brilliant. I love that. And it seems like you've, you've amassed a pretty great list of writers to contribute Uh to the to the project, yeah. I'm interested. What sort of what sort of struggles came up as you were putting this together? I mean, um, often taking an idea from this germ into a finished product is. I mean, Ooh. there are hurdle. There's a hurdle upon hurdle to to clear. What were some of those?
2: One of the hurdles was I made the book too big. Like we kept, like the hurdle really was to stop the topics from popping into my brain and saying, we really need to find a writer for this topic. Because right. eventually Ned, my husband, is the creative director of Square Halo. And like by the time we reached like 30 essays, he's like, this book is longer than I expected it to be. And it's got like 45 <laughs> essays in it.
1: That is is great. I love it. Always better Um, to have words to edit than to be struggling to come up with words, in my opinion.
2: (laughs) Very true. (laughs) So I think the one for me, the hurdle for me, I had never edited a book before. Right. I had someone with me, Thea, who had edited who had has been an editor. Ned has always been in the process of doing books with Square Halo. So he's been doing that for 25 years. So so learning how to communicate to writers things that needed to be changed mm-hmm. and doing it in a in a way that helped them grow and that we could keep a good community, even though some of my writers I never even met, and mm-hmm. some of them I knew through Facebook, and some of them were good friends or right. friends. And so how to how to be that editor and that leader in this project that cared about the people as well as the projects so that we could come to the end of it and feel as if everyone had been, I don't know, respected and not abused or, you know, yeah. for the sake of the final project. So that was one of them. The other hurdle. And I look forward to hearing Carrie's thoughts is I really did want to make sure the book really did represent God's kingdom. Well, in that mm-hmm. I wanted us to, really wanted us to talk about not just the things that come easily like for me talking about shakespeare and novels that like jane eyre that I, i love when my girls were younger it was very easy for me when we went to the library to not just get the classical contemporary classical books or contemporary books but i love to find books about people from other cultures or different races. As a person that's easy, but how do you make that happen in a big book? And I really wanted to make sure that I had a lot of diverse, thoughtful, Jesus-loving writers. And I I didn't want it to be either token writers and Mm -hmm. I didn't want it to seem like I was just trying to be hip to what's going on in the culture, right? Right, yeah, sure. I wanted it to be because this is what God's kingdom is. You know, God's kingdom is about like different cultures and different people and different stories and different backgrounds. And I wanted that because I love it, but it's hard to make that happen, especially because... I do have friends who are writers who are of different backgrounds, whether culturally or their races, but Mm -hmm. I didn't have enough to make it seem like I just didn't have token writers. And my one daughter, when we were talking about it, that's what she said to me. She's like, don't just have one essay that makes you feel like you've covered the diversity track. And I'm like, fair. Yeah, right. Like I can't do that. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So I did a lot of praying and reaching out to friends who had more connections than I did. And I set my sights high Mm -hmm. for Carrie and I, like I really wanted um, the writer Jasmine Holmes because she also teaches at a classical school and she's African-American and Carrie loves her. And I'm like, that's who I want. But she has uh, a lot of book deals, (laughs) you know, like we couldn't have afforded her, (laughs) (laughs) but what ended up happening is, uh, Darina Williamson, who's put out a bunch of books in the past couple of years, mm-hmm. um, picture books. She, I got connected to her through Karen Swallow Pryor mm-hmm. and dorena at the time couldn't write for me, but she loved the project. And she said to me, I am a connector of people. And I'm like, mm, I love that. So she that? <laughs> ten women writers who are all women of color. Uh-huh. And, um, I think seven of them wrote for us.
3: And that then in
2: the end, Darina had already like books already that she was working on. So she was like, I'd love to write for it, but I am actually too busy. Yeah. But then in the end, which was so cool, she um, she and two other women, one was Think Latina and another one was a woman, uh Korean American. And they had done a blog post about why, representation matters Mm. in the children's book world. And so I looked them all up and I got their books and their books were like wonderful. And so I asked Dorina if I could take the blog post and turn it into an essay. So it's like a three-part essay with three voices. cool. and I got Dorina in my book. Um, So that was one of the hurdles was how do I in a way that honors everybody and not just does it because it's hip. How can I make this book really show off the bigness and beauty of God's kingdom?
1: I love that. Uh, Carrie, how would you answer that question?
2: I would agree with what mom
3: said. I think for me, more of like my pride getting in the way was a big hurdle of being okay with having voices that disagreed with one another Because I think it's important that we maybe not disagreed, but we're in tension maybe with one another like I so I teach at a classical Christian school I grew up in the classical world, but I feel very strongly that new contemporary works are just as important as like the old classics. Um, yes. that's one of the four boxes that I could go off on for a very long time. Um, <laughs> but so my essay in the book is all about how I think modern contemporary picture books can also be classical. And then there's a whole essay on how old picture books are really, really important and how like we should be keeping right. those in our kids' bookshelves, which I don't disagree with. I actually agree with that statement wholeheartedly, but sure. I having the the humility to be like, okay, my opinion's not the only opinion here. Um, but then on the flip side of that coin, I had major imposter syndrome through this whole writing experience sure. and the whole editing experience feeling like, I mean, I've been in this academic, teaching book world for over six years now but like is that enough time for me to have an opinion that's worth sharing right. um do I have enough to say it, it does my opinion matter when it comes to these 40 other incredible writers who have such important things to say does my opinion and like my edits of their work matter <laughs> um, went through a lot of like existential crises like while I was like working on this project but yeah. ultimately it was for the best and I think it's a good example of I don't know if this is lame or not or too cheesy but like just because you're young doesn't mean you don't have something to like bring to the table and i think that oh, we yeah. have a lot of writers who are even younger than i am in the book and so i think it was really fun to hear all of their voices and be okay with like where i fit in that
1: uh, that's really good that actually leads me to to my next question which was how how ought this book to be read? Um, what's the through line that connects all of these different voices? Because as I sort of perused it and and was looking at chapter headings and reading some some in and around some of the articles, it seems like the tone is pretty uniform, which is kind of incredible considering that you have forty voices here. Yeah. Um well, What, what is that that through line? <laughs> yeah.
2: God's all our
3: lives. <laughs> <laughs> I say that slightly facetiously, but I actually think that's very true. I think the gospel is the through line of yeah. this whole book. And I think that's like the only way that you can read this is a love of God and a love of people. Yeah. That's my opinion. I don't that know. What you would say. Well, well Leslie, I before you, agree. before you
1: dive in on that, let me, sure. I wanted to read this, this quotation from you yourself, just to set the tone for this part of the conversation, because I found it really compelling. So you, you include a quotation from Lewis's magician's nephew. And then this is sort of the introduction to your book Uh, far overhead from beyond the veil of blue sky, either from the sky or from the lion itself. The deepest, wildest voice they had ever heard was saying, Narnia, 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 awake, love, think, speak, be walking trees, be talking beasts, be divine waters. And then Leslie writes, these three words, love, think, speak, grabbed my attention the first year I guided my seventh grade literature class through C.S. Lewis's The Magician's Nephew. Aslan's call to his newly ordained talking animals, I love that, newly ordained, beautiful, to awaken into love, think, and speak was a call to image him to the rest of Narnia. This reminded me of the awe-inspiring truth that humanity being is made in God image. We love, think, and speak because the creator did so first mm. expand expand what, okay. what a great piece of writing
2: well all of that really did happen it was i when i was teaching 7th grade for the first time and i was reading that out loud to the kids i had that epiphany moment that you're like i wish i'd had this thought earlier so i could expand on it with my children in class and <laughs> right? i was like oh this is like genesis And it was very exciting for me to to think about that. So that I would say for one of the things that um, my children would hear often, and then my children, my own children, and then my kids in my classes, my children in my different classes, I taught seventh grade, the Chronicles of Narnia, and then the eighth graders, I got to teach Tolkien and Shakespeare and the Bible. So you're like, sounds like a great time word heaven all the time. Yeah. Um, but I have always felt, I think intuitively based on my own life, how stories really do shape us mm. and how we then can so the story shaping us, I, I learned intuitively and then watching the world around me and then reading other people had the same ideas that could kind of confirm and elaborate what I had been thinking about and, and working through in my own life. But then um Learning that idea that sometimes I think now people talk about a lot and I'm so glad, but I think it can come come across like a cliche Mm. or too easy, but our lives really are part of God's big story. So we can tell a good story with our lives. Mm. And so if God calls us to speak well, it's because he does, if you what if he causes us to think well, it's because he does. And he's called us to do that, that whole idea of imaging him. If we're growing in that area, then we can tell a good story with our lives. Yeah. So those have been things I've cared about. As well as like adding beauty into our everyday life and into my classroom, mm-hmm. um, and that's why like I was drawn to classical education, why I was drawn to Charlotte Mason. I mean, really, I just—I'm a nerd, and I would take my kids <laughs> to museums. And, you are among
1: friends here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I would do pancake breakfasts and read poetry to them, yeah. you know, or look at painting postcards. So these are the things I want in our lives. So. I've loved these things for a long time. yeah. and so to write a book that would then offer to people what I thought are good things, but I think they're God honoring things. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so easy. And I know it was easy for me because it wasn't like we all did this perfectly, or it wasn't like all my kids do is listen to Bach. We took our kids to <laughs> group concerts and switchfoot concerts, and we are switchfoot.
1: Actually- that was my first concert. Love yes! those guys to this very day. Me
2: too. <laughs> well, yeah. actually, we took her to a Charlie Peacock concert when she was two, but you probably remember, I don't remember that.
1: That doesn't count. It's John Foreman.
2: It's true. I was 11 years old. So we <laughs> met <laughs> at a club. I, really I, I got in, in that the club, 80s but- And love pop culture mm-hmm. in some ways, but also knowing what forms us and shapes us and I think it's easy to forget that when you're in the midst of parenting
0: yeah um
2: or you become like so puritanical you forget to love it like you think that it's what's going to save your family or your kids and instead of being out of love it I guess the only word I can think of is it's puritanical it's it's legalistic. Yeah, our and
1: performance, that, right? It's yeah, a performance of some kind.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I wanted, I really desire what I love about what happened with this book that you noticed, and other people have noticed about how it does seem cohesive. Mm-hmm. Is that one, I think our the editor's love, Carrie's love, my love, Thea's love of stories and Jesus and children. Mm-hmm. We love it, and we found people who also love it and know the beauty of childhood or what can be beautiful about childhood and about stories and, and imagination. So other than Carrie being right, that it was God's grace. I feel like somehow we were able to communicate these things to people. And then I think the other like thing that really made it happen was our editor, Thea, (laughs) like she's amazing. (laughs) I mean, she really is amazing and a miracle and a gift from God for us. Amen. She (laughs) would read things and she knew how to keep it all together. Mm -hmm. Like I could get the ball rolling and Carrie and I would go through all the essays first. Mm -hmm. Um, one Christmas break, she was home with us and Carrie was with us in Lancaster because she lives in New York city. And we, the two of us sat on the couch and we read the essays back and forth each other and gave each other comments and then sent them back to the writers the writers edited and then we sent the edited to Thea, and so Thea knew how to put it all together yep. in, in a beautiful way
1: that's so, just wonderful yeah so the two oh go ahead go Carrie. Ahead. yeah please oh
3: I'm just gonna say like going off of what you're saying about like not that you can the puritanical thing. I think Mm -hmm. also all of the writers that we found because of their strong love of story in the gospel, they weren't living or reading out of fear. Mm -hmm. It was out of trust that the Lord's story is redemptive, even though things may be hard. Mm. And, and I think that like, we have a whole chapter on like suffering and how to like read with your kids through suffering and, and like pain and grief and that kind of process or um how to cry while you read, you know? And so I think that it was that trust that God's redemptive story is through it all. And that we're not Living out of fear, um, and that we can read so many different types of things because that will enrich our imagination and not lead us on some random, yeah, not godlike path. I don't know.
1: I really, I really agree with you. I, I meant to ask you specifically, Carrie, how we how we as Christians ought to interact with with non-Christian writers. One of the things that you mentioned in your preface, I think it was, to to the book was that this is a learned skill, right? It's not just that that your family has some sort of secret gnosis that that uh, that you're able to identify the good books, that there's actually a way to create this kind of culture in your family. And one of the things that sounds like that typifies that in your mind is the ability to reach into a non-Christian world and take something of worth from it. Um, and maybe that is connected to reading without fear. What would you say to that?
3: Yeah, I think it's it's viewing everyone being made in the image of God and And knowing that there is God God is in all of us, yeah. whether we are have the grace to have received him into our hearts we have all been made in his image oh. therefore we all have something to bring to the table which I think C.S. Lewis talks about in, many in criticism Christianity I think or way to glory yeah. was you know or like everything he ever wrote <laughs> um, but I, I think that there's there's something to be said about the fact that God God's creativity did not end after the the first six days of creation mm-hmm. um, and his creativity didn't end after, you know, the temple was torn down. I think that he is still moving and breathing. And if we believe that he is alive and is moving through this world, how narrow a view does it need to be that it can only be within one small section of no the world, one yeah. small section of writing and one small section of music. I think I don't want, I don't want to put God into a box like that. I want him to get to speak to me in every way. And also knowing that I'm fallen. So if I'm fallen and I still have the grace of God in my life, that means that, and if I can produce something that is God given and God breathed in theory, I hope. <laughs> Knock on wood. Uh, but then, other people in the world must also be able to do that. So for me, it's I believe that every human is made in His image, and therefore must be able to produce something that is God-breathed and God-honoring. That's beautiful.
2: And to kind of jump off of what Carrie is saying, also being made in God's image, having having minds and hearts. And then as we as Christians are growing to be more like Christ, we can also grow in our discernment mm. and we can find, we can share so much with the world, but also grow in discernment and our skills in either how we're either as the receiver or as the giver, either as right. the one reading or the one during the writing. And so I think there might've been things that I read when I was younger, that I might have said to my daughters when they were younger, I don't think I want you to read that. But now that they're older, yeah. they might be able to, they bake, can bake hand, handle it. Or like, when I was 17, I read *Brideshead Revisited for the first time.
1: What a read.
2: Yeah, well, I don't think I understood a thing that I was reading that, <laughs> other than it was before World War Two. But I admit that I was reading it because the guys on the cover were really cute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I had read like I'd watched like the TV show, but I was like, I felt ready to read like a grown up book that no one told me to read. And that was that book. But then I decided that would be the book I'd read every decade. So now that I'm in my 50s, I understand it in ways that I never, ever understood in my in the other decades, not about when I was 17, but like- Talk about the grace
1: of God giving you foresight. What a brilliant (laughs) idea to read it once a decade. That's so cool. Yeah,
2: it's the only one I've done. I've read East of Eden a couple of times because I give that to my daughters because for some reason that became a thing. But, um, and Kaim Potok has gotten read several times too. The Chosen. um, (sighs) Yes, (laughs) totally. Um, Beautiful. But I just feel like- my thought was, as Carrie was speaking, that yes, we there is a freedom, and in that freedom, we can learn discernment as we as we grow and as we add to our own wells of life. And so I think that's what this book does is what I'm hoping is it's not just a book of lists of books. It's a way to help parents, and people who have ch- other people have children in their lives, like aunts and uncles and friends who love and have children in their lives that not do I just want to give you the good books to read. I mm. want you to know how to think about good literature, um, whether it was written by Christians or not Christians, things that you can then go into a bookstore and have a couple more tools in your toolbox yeah. to things for yourself, because I do remember when. my girls were younger I did I knew how to pick good books because well I guess the book says if it it made my stomach hurt I knew it wasn't a very good book I would never want to reread it again but I also wanted other people to tell me what to read to my to my kids and in some ways that's good because we want wisdom but in other ways it misses out on the relationship that you can have Mm. with yourself in books mm-hmm. and with your children and books, mm-hmm. because sometimes like Carrie brought out out of fear of doing the wrong thing. I would pick what I books from people who I thought knew better than I did. Yep. And that, that kills, that hurts the relational part with your children. Mm. And I think, and I wish that I wish I had not done that to the girls sometimes that i would pick books because other people said. Now, of course, there is the canon of books you wanna make sure your kids have read. Like, it's not like I regret having them read Pride and Prejudice, right? But there, there are other times that I pushed things that I was like, I wish I would have thought that they could have still grown to be decent teenagers if I didn't make them read such and such, you know, well, they, they
1: appear to have turned out just fine.
2: all <laughs> <You know>, right.
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny that you bring up, it's funny that you bring up the, the, the idea of list making, because this is a, is a pet topic of ours yeah. at Center for Lit. We, is we it? have had, oh my goodness, we've had so many parents and teachers approach us over the years. What I really want from you is a book list. And we say, yes. well, what we have for you instead is a method for having conversations. choose your own books and people twist your arm and eventually you do make them a list and books like this come along full of just wonderful recommendations. But I think there is also a couple of elements in your book that can read in in, in a helpful way, I think, as sort of a tonic or maybe even an indictment of some cultural trends. Like, for example, in your introduction, you talk about taste buds, use taste as a metaphor, and you say a steady diet of things covered in cheese which by the way, sound wonderful. I love your your uh, parenthetical. I am very sympathetic to this. Um, but like a steady diet of of entertainment, more or less, mm-hmm. dulls the senses to, to language and to language's ability to shepherd us through difficult times. Tell yeah. me a little bit more about that idea.
2: I, again, it was something that I came about intuitively because I knew it from myself mm. that I knew where my strengths and my weaknesses were. And I knew what I was like as a teenager, that there were books that I did love that my teachers gave me to read that I enjoyed. But really what I really wanted to read was the books, the romance books written for teenage girls. And, and I knew that that was forming what I wanted in the world, what I wanted my everyday life to look like. Now, is all of that bad? It doesn't have to be. That is really what teenage girls are like. I just <laughs> made it more than it needed to be, I think. Sure. So, I so I really do think that and I'm really grateful that James K. Smith decided to write a book called We Are What We Love because I'm like, yeah, that's what I've been saying. <laughs> you just are the one who has, you know, the PhD, but um like <laughs> I do think if the more you read those well, Charlotte Mason did say at first, right? The twaddle, you know, yeah. like if we keep giving that to our kids, like if we keep giving them cotton candy, that's what they're going to want. But we know that that's not what's going to be beautiful for them. And I thought, I did think while I was raising the girls that, and Ned as well, my husband, that like, you can, you can... You can help them grow in loving what's good if mm-hmm. that's what you're offering them, and it can be good and and beautiful, and it doesn't have to be serious. Like we found a lot of writers who were a whole bunch like really fun, like you can't help but really enjoy. Is it Quentin Blake who illustrated the Raw Doll those yep. books? Like that's those are fun, right?
1: Those Raw Doll books are amazing.
2: Yeah. So, like, you want, (laughs) I wanted to give them the best. Yeah. And I, and so, and I, and I, without knowing the end result, I just felt like if we're finding the best books and the best music, and if I'm enjoying it along the way, we're all going to be happy. Like, that was the other thing that I wanted was I didn't want our family culture to be always divided between this is kids culture, and this is parents culture, that's going to happen. And that's okay. But I, I wanted to enjoy what they were enjoying. And I wanted them to enjoy what I was enjoying. Uh-huh. What do you think, Carrie? Oh, I was just going to say, or like, this is
3: high culture and this is low culture. I think that we can easily fall into this idea of like, well, that's pop culture. So that's not like highbrow enough or like good enough when it's like, well, actually, you know, this music is just as good. Like we were saying earlier, like, it's not Mm -hmm. like we're just listening to Bach, but not differentiating in that way either. Just, I had another thought. Um, But going off of that, I think we want our kids to be able, if we're introducing them to the good stuff early on, that gives them the tools to find it on their own so that you're not the one forcing it and then them hating it and not wanting to read kind Potok later on or, or something like that. And that they can do that alongside like Teen Vogue and that that can be okay, that you're doing both of those things at the same time, but you've pr- you've given them the framework of like yeah. this- Good, that they will eventually want to return to that. But maybe I'm just speaking from my own experience in having grown up in all this. And well, that- I,
1: I I sympathize. I, mean, I was raised, it sounds like, in a very similar environment. And But one of the things that I noticed coming along was that, and this is something that my parents said to me over and over again, you were written into a story, you are a part of a story, and therefore you have instincts. Yeah. Um. Your, your soul yearns four stories that tell the truth. And, and so one of the thing, one of the distinctions that they made is we aren't necessarily engaged in the act of forming your instincts. We're engaged in the act of uncovering them and instigating them and sparking them. Right. So yeah. I like the way you put it. Let's put us, let's put our kids in the way of the good stuff as early and as often as possible. So they get a nose for it. Um, yeah. and it's going to feed their soul because well because they're made in the image of God and and that's what it wants right and that's what the image of yeah. God wants
2: and I think when when especially Carrie when they were younger, I didn't have all of that what your parents were able to maybe give earlier like there was I think more fear for me because mm. I hadn't given my young self grace to mm. have stumbled or to have loved right um fashion magazines as much as i had. So how do you find that the wisdom of yeah maybe a 16-year-old shouldn't actually be reading vogue magazine or harper's magazine but okay i in some ways it was easy to go to the other extreme but somewhere in the middle of that extreme that i could go in that Carrie and i've had to talk through. <laughs> we did i did know even though there was some fear there was I didn't have to be afraid of what was beautiful and good and true to give that to them. Mm
3: -hmm. And so
2: that became after a while, the open handedness of, look, this is just really good. And we really enjoy doing this together. Mm -hmm. Um, Although there is a big regret when I fallen in love with peace, like a river by leaf anger or Leif anger. um, I made Carrie read that at like 14 and I made her finish it, even though she hated it and she will never read it now. Even though it's like one of the best books ever written by a contemporary Christian writer, <laughs> it
3: killed me. Like nah. I don't think I've ever read a book so slowly in my entire life. Oh and no! It wouldn't let me like not finish it, I and know. I I don't know yeah, what's going on, on principle on principle alone will <laughs> not read it again. Just uh, I have <laughs> I
1: have one of those. I have one of those. I so the, I don't know if you ever read the. Book series by Christopher Paulini. It's mm-hmm. it, the opening book is called Aragon. Oh yes. it's, a, yes. it's a fantasy book about dragon yes. riders. And he was a, he was a sensation. He was on the New York Times bestseller list at 17 or something. Some and he was a homeschool like kid. And he was a homeschool kid. He was the idol of all of us. Um yes. and so I had just been given that book as a present for my birthday and was mm, stoked. I was big stoked about it. However, I had been assigned David Copperfield as summer reading. And I think I was. I do think I was about 14, 13, maybe I was little. Cause that's when, um, yeah,
3: that's, that's when I it think.
1: happens. That's when it happens. So you, so David Copperfield, uh, w- it was pulling teeth. I hated it. I hated every single dingle word of it. And now to this very day, I describe all books that I dislike as a David Copperfield of a book. <laughs> yes. And what a tragedy, right? I mean, uh, anyway,
3: it's depressing.
1: We're just Still sending my happened. parents down the river here on the show. Yeah.
3: yeah. Sorry, um, <laughs> just don't do what I did. You did a lot of good things. You did a lot of beauty, truth, and goodness. But uh peace like a river, and apparently David Copperfield were not it. <laughs>
1: they were not it, they were not it. I love it though, Leslie and Carrie, both of you, the way that you're emphasizing the gospel. Um, there's just an aura of freedom around this book and around the way yeah. that you guys talk around these issues. I'm I'm just really grateful for that. Um <sighs> And I also think that one of the things we're trying to do here at Center for Lit um, that really resonates with your family culture, it sounds like, is step up alongside a parent or a teacher and put our arm around them and say, listen, it's all going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine because the creator of these little souls is as interested in their development as you are. And the fact that he's using you as a tool to bless them doesn't mean that the acquisition of humanness is on you that you have to go acquire humanness and hand it to these kids. In fact, it's probably even more powerful for like you were saying Leslie, you to step alongside them and say, "Hap, sorry, I made you read finger too young. My bad." And and to walk in the light with one another about that. That's a that's a powerful agent in in education.
2: I think it for me it comes from although I didn't do it perfectly, obviously because I made a finished piece like a river. Um, but when I was in my early 20s, out of college i discovered Lingle, okay. and i read um walking on water and then i read her trilogy her memoir trilogies and then i went back and read some of her like reread wrinkle in time and then the other ones that followed after that then i also read edith schaefer's um the art hidden art of homemaking okay. and so those two voices were pretty big in my mind and heart in my from like 23 to 30. Um, And then along came another woman, Andy Ashworth, who wrote a book called um, The Hidden Art of Homemaking. And I share this because you talked, we've talked about fear and we've talked about freedom. Those three writers open the door to live in freedom, to, to, to find your creativity Mm -hmm. and use it and grow in it. But And I loved that. And I especially felt it a lot when Carrie was really young, like when she was five and six and younger and around those ages. But then as we added more children and as I added more homeschooling, then I discovered classical education and some certain writers, whether it was in the homeschooling world or classical education world, all of a sudden, I felt like I could just fail like that. Uh And I wasn't, we weren't pietistic enough, whatever. And I, for a while, really struggled with being anxious, easily discouraged, because I just didn't feel like I was as good as or smart as Mm. or godly as these people who I saw, who I didn't even know, they weren't even in my community. Um, And so now I really care even more about just community life, doing life with people, you know, so that you're not caught up in what you with celebrities who you don't know. Yeah. And so I had to let go of so many things. So I lost that freedom and then regained it after a while. But, um, I, I, I want this book. Like you said, I want it to give parents freedom Mm -hmm. to love their children or aunts and uncles or cousins. You know, I don't want to just put it in the parent realm. There are lots of people who aren't. It's a
3: lot of bonus aunties out there that (laughs)
2: exactly. (laughs) I am one too many. And so (laughs) Exactly. Friends who have children. So it's for everybody who has loves children, Mm -hmm. who has children in their lives, to find that freedom. Like I don't want people to take away from the book and that they're burdened. I want them to be like, oh, yes, this is a way to show love. This is who God is. This is is how I can love children. This is a good thing to give them beauty and good and truth and stories and their imagination. I do want parents to fight for their children's imagination. I think we've got to be purposeful and intentional. I think you always need to be. But in this day and age, with all of the ways we're, all of us are bombarded with some type of story or not. And many stories that don't glorify God or help us be human. Well, mm-hmm. I think we need to, we need to be purposeful. And that's what I want this book to help people to be is mm-hmm. intentional. How, what, what are we doing? So our kids aren't just mindlessly.
1: Entertained.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Neil Postman, the prophet.
2: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think also
3: like freedom, not just for the parents, but for kids to be kids in every stage that they're in. And a lot of that is fighting for their imagination, but also giving them the chance to explore lots of different things, as opposed to just like, this is the only way to find God, or this is the only way to find what is good, true and beautiful, but letting them kind of explore lots of means and lots of Different types of books and different types of stories, because I I think we tend to either push kids to grow up too fast in in some ways, or we let them linger too long in other ways. Mm. It's giving them the freedom to be who they are in the moment that they're in, um, and letting sometimes their imagination cultivate a little bit longer and incubate a little bit more um, mm. is important to me as well.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. Well, tell me a little bit um, just as we, as we wrap up here about square halo books, it seems like a major outpost in the effort to, (laughs) to claim imaginations and be intentional in the way Mm -hmm. that we, we contemplate art and beauty.
2: Mm -hmm. Carrie, do you want to share anything first since you've thrown up with square halo in your life?
3: (laughs) Uh, It is a constant in my life uh, (laughs) over the last 25 years. (laughs) Well, I will just say that I think um, Square Halo, mom can speak more to maybe the the details of it, but has been an inspiration to me in um, hearing so many different people's stories in our theme here, um, in how they have found God's goodness throughout their different fields. Um, Square Halo mainly focuses on um, art, and vocation and, um, a lot of the visual arts and how that fits the God's story and just being able to see lots of Christians living out God's creativity and producing that into the world has been encouraging to me to grow up in because moving to New York and living around a, a lot of artists, Um, And a lot of Christians who did not know that it was okay to be an artist and be a Christian at the same time, I grew up in a household where that was okay. And we knew lots of people who were involved in that because of Square Halo. And so I'm grateful for that experience on my end, but a lot of, yeah, uh, God working through just everyday people um, and doing everyday things to bring him glory, which I feel like I am one of those everyday people just doing an everyday thing. <laughs> and As work, are you know? we so all? <laughs> it's yeah. an inspiration to me, but I, Mom has a lot more of the the inner workings of it, since she's the press, the vice president of the company.
2: We yeah, this year we're celebrating 25 years. Wow. of being a book publishing company, and it's been honestly, it's been a gift from God. Mm. We, our friend, our partners, Alan and Diana. Um, Alan has is a pastor, a retired pastor, and also a, a seminary professor. And about 30 years ago, he was teaching systematic theology, and he got to Revelation, taught through Revelation, and his students were like, you need to write a book about this. And so he did, and he tried to shop it, he shopped it around, and no one was interested in it. One, because no one knew him, and he didn't have an agent. And people, the everyone he shopped it to, they're like, we just want devotionals. And so his wife, right. yeah. um, it's just kind of hard to like sit through in your morning 30 minutes with the Lord, you know? It's a
1: tough first book to publish maybe <laughs> on Revelation. Goodness. Yeah.
2: Right. So, and his book was more like the premise of that book was if we believe that scripture interprets scripture, why do we make the book of Revelation so different? Mm. Where in scripture do you see the things that are mentioned in Revelation that are already defined in scripture? We should be putting those definitions with those things we're seeing in Revelation. And so he wrote a book about those things and no one public wanted to publish it. So his wife was like, let's do more than just self-publish. Let's create a publishing company. And then maybe along the way, we can publish other people who aren't getting published because they don't have a name or an mm. agent. And maybe, but they have something to say and we'd like to help them get it out. So my husband will remind us. And I said, no, why would we ever do that? <laughs> but the other, the, Diana, who's our president and the wife of Alan, you don't basically say no to Diana. She's a very strong Italian woman who's hmm. smart. And she, yeah, so we're like, so they're like, why don't you join us in this Adventure. And so we did. And Nedby's like, okay, I'll do it as long as I get to be creative director because he's a designer and an illustrator. And that just started an amazing adventure and journey. And we, this year, I think we will have published 40 books. Wow. 35 books. I think it's close to 50. I don't know. Yes, it's a lot. That and is Ned excellent. Say, he said he thought. That what would happen is that they would maybe publish a book every eight years or ten years because he wanted eight
3: eight. But by the time he was eighty, that yeah. was what my dad wanted.
2: Yeah, he's like that. We'd feel good.
3: So and, he gets so he, he gets fifty.
1: Goodness,
2: yeah, like close to something it, something yeah. like that. We, I, I don't know how many they are actually, but there's a lot. But what turned out, what was great, what was neat, what got it even more going is. Mm-hmm. At that time, we were still in our late 20s, and Ned, as an artist, had wrestled with, one, what does it mean to be a Christian and an artist? And so he had read some good things like Schaefer and Lengel. had also read some other writers, and he he had moved past that struggle of how do you do art as a Christian? Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, did it... in the middle ages, but what, how do we do this in the contemporary age as a Christian sure. and an artist? If I don't want to like make Sunday school art, if I'm not doing it to evangelize, yeah, is not, there a place? not
1: flannel boards.
2: Right. I was yeah. just going to say flannel board, <laughs> Hallmark cards, you know?
1: Yeah.
3: But do I want a flannel board deep down in my
2: soul? Yes. So oh,
1: absolutely. Yes. Of course you do.
2: <laughs> so we, he got over that, but then he was like, so then as a Christian, and an artist, what's forming me? Mm. What then helps me create a vision? Or as a Christian and artist, does that change how I view color or light or community or whatever? He Mm -hmm. had all these topics. So he was slowly getting to know other Christians in the artists and Christians. He had joined Christians in the visual arts since he was meeting some people. And so he couldn't find that book. So he's like, oh, now we have a book publishing company. Maybe I can make a book of essays and ask these artists to help me answer some of these questions. So uh, that book came to be. And it's really cool because along the way, like we got, we have Tim Keller in that book. And he wrote for us before Tim Keller was writing books. And Makoto Fujimara, he wrote for us before he was writing any books. You know, they were, I know. So we and we're like it was all a gift of god that's it so cool god. everything so and then we just kept right a lot of books at the beginning were about art and and theology but like this year we're going to publish our first book of poetry by a a uh a baptist pastor in north ireland and it's his poetry of the words of, of it's about jesus in the book mm-hmm. of john that ned illustrated and I'm so excited. And That's we've done memoir now. And it's so, so along the way, it's, it's really, I can't keep saying it enough. It really is of God yes. because we've never had money that we could pay ourselves. Mm-hmm. We have taken, we've all gone out to eat a lot. That's where we um, have yeah. our meetings because right. we all like good restaurants. So, and sometimes we get like extra money to pay for Christmas presents, but there's never really been a lot of extra. It's always gone back into the, the, the publishing company. But along the way, Ned grew as an editor and a graphic designer, and it also got his name out into the world and has opened doors for him that wouldn't have been opened if he hadn't done some of the books that he had done. Um, and and now also, I go around, and people are like, Buster, Are
3: you uh, Ned and Leslie's daughter?" Are nice.
2: Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm
1: familiar with that son of such and such thing. Yeah, it's oh, a real.
2: It's, that's a real thing. <laughs> it's a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's how we met Thea's because I had written where she was working, and Thea Rosenberg because I was working on learning how to write essays and getting published, and I wanted to be published with deeply rooted, and she emailed me back and she's like, are you related to Ned Buster? And I'm like, yeah.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I am.
2: And then we started working together and it was beautiful. But um, yeah, it's been good. And God's opened doors for us or given us um, distributors that might not have happened if it hadn't been God's intervention. And, and now like I've gotten to do a podcast and next we're going to do, and that's been fun. I'm working on my second season Excellent. and that's been a great way for me to use my gifts. And then we also did this um, conference last year and we're now working on our second one. We had done conferences like a decade ago, but um, now with the way social media is, you can yeah. really get the word out. So oh, absolutely. So we still feel like we're struggling with we always struggled with marketing because Mm -hmm. we could never really pay someone to market. And that just seemed like the big mystery, but kind of like what Francis and Edith Schaefer were like with Labrie, they were like, this is God's work and it will be done in God's way. And it will produce God's fruit. And that's really humbling, but also Mm -hmm. freeing because we know what we haven't been able to do. And we meet people all the time who have read our books and are like, that changed my life. And that's, then you know, oh, that is because of God. You just got to be the instrument. So,
1: That's great. Yeah. Well, aren't we all instruments and isn't it a good life?
2: Yeah, it is. <laughs> it really,
1: really is. Well, thank you both so much for your time. This has just been a thank wonderful you. conversation. You're bl- you've blessed me today. And I know that our listeners feel the same way. Um, I'm Just really, really quickly before I let you go, where can uh, our listeners read you guys? I understand at least you, Leslie, and I would imagine having talked to you for now, almost an hour, Carrie, that you are writing some things as well. Where can where can they find you on online?
3: SquareHaloBooks.com on our blog at SquareHaloBooks.com. That's where you can find me. Mom's okay. all over the place. She's moving and shaking. I'm <laughs> exclusively on SquareHaloBooks right now. Um, but some of my other thoughts can just be found on my Instagram at okay. TaxiCab.
2: Tax awesome. Tab. I write for Cultivating Project, which is an online journal, and I just started writing for Story Warren, um, which is another like yeah. love stories and children and parents and adults who love children. And I, I also have a website called Poetic Underpinnings. Okay. I haven't posted anything for like a month, so I need to get caught up. But those are the three places that that I really have kind of added myself to. I help in the background with Cala Press, which is a small, a woman started it to encourage Christians, mm. a place for them to get published. Um, so I think those are the places. Wonderful. And you
1: you said you had a podcast as well, right?
2: That oh, yes. Yeah. Square Halo. Square Halo. Also that, Square Halo. Square okay. Halo. Yep. Excellent. So it's called the Square Halo. You have to listen to it because the entrance music is the best (laughs) we (laughs) had our daughter maggie's best friend who does music we were like this is the style we like but we'd like to do so we collaborated and it was so fun
1: oh that's Um, great
2: so so yeah um i oh and i'm also recently been with anselm society Okay, and been writing for them. They're they're having a book come out soon about why we create and they asked me to write for it. And so I've kind of gotten involved with them, which makes me very happy because they're really a neat, really a wonderful organization. So excellent, I very blessed with all <laughs> that I to do.
1: Well, you guys are a joy and a treasure. God bless you both.
2: Thank you. Thank Uh, you. Thank you for
1: joining us today. And thank all of you listeners for being with us. And until we meet again, online or in person, happy reading.
0: Bibliophiles is a production of the Center for Lit Podcast Network find new episodes each month on the web at centerforlit.com, where you'll discover dozens of resources to equip and inspire you to participate in the great conversation, including the Pelican Society, a membership program for folks who love the Center for Lit approach to all things literary. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Until next time, happy reading, everyone.